This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Super exciting for what they've done the last couple of years here. You know, going for a third cup. It's definitely exciting to go there and, and go for a push and obviously bringing my game to that line. I, I, I feel like uh, being a hard-nosed player, throwing throwing big checks, playing good defensively and, and just kind of doing what I can to, to, to help the team succeed. Uh, I'm beyond ecstatic. All right, that man is pretty pumped to join the Tampa Bay Lightning. Why wouldn't he be? Nick Paul has an opportunity to play a long, long time in the playoffs, something he wasn't going to do with the Ottawa Senators. It was good to hear Paul talk to the media yesterday as the Lightning gets set to take on the Carolina Hurricanes tonight. We're going to talk all about the trade deadline and the game tonight here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linnelli, along with the radio voice of the Lightning. He would be Dave Mishkin. And uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. So it looks like, uh, partner, that the trade deadline is done, although there was uh, some questions still remaining with Dadnoff from Vegas. They're trying to still figure that out. But I think that was the one trade, Greg. I didn't understand that trade. Yeah, I don't. We need to get somebody smarter than me to explain to me why Vegas made that trade. Well, we'll reach out to somebody, I think, later in the week to talk about the deadline, how everybody did. And look, it's it's tough to give grades when it comes to those things because, I mean, it looks good on paper, but how does it yeah. translate to wins and losses? But, I, I you know, a lot of people do it. You know, it's like after the draft. A lot of people want to give grades to how people did in the draft and Ideally, you've got to give that thing a couple of years before you really start to have an idea of what you have. But people do it, and a lot of clicks and listens end up coming through when you start assigning grades. And we'll at least maybe talk to a, a national guy about what they liked about certain moves and what teams made. But partner, the dust has settled. This is who the Tampa Bay Lightning are, basically. We have some questions starting to trickle in. And how about that? Riley Nash coming mm-hmm. back. Well, we think... You know, once the playoffs begin, for sure, because he did clear. They really initially. wanted to have Riley Nash for the playoffs. I think that much is clear. They picked him up on waivers back in whenever it was late November, early December. They couldn't get him on waivers this time around because had they claimed him, they would have been over the cap. But once he cleared waivers, they traded for him and they could send him directly to Syracuse. That's a good depth piece. It really is. Yeah. I mean, and I- I'm wondering, Dave, we've, I- I- at least I did, and I don't know if there was any any correlation between the two. And I think we might have asked Julian this question when he came on, when was it? Uh, a while ago, maybe a couple of months ago we had it him on. It was past the midpoint of the season. Past the midpoint right of the there. season, yes. And we had him on. And I- I'm wondering if that Riley Nash acquisition the first time around did that hint at something that they were trying to address and that did these trades that they executed the last couple of days maybe reinforce that opinion that they were looking at the forward position they wanted to add a little bit more depth maybe get a little bit bigger and address the face-off circle uh, if they if they could I'm wondering if that kind of signaled to us that that's where they were going to head at the trade deadline if they were going to do something. Yeah, I mean, Riley Nash is different than the two guys they acquired, though, where they gave up, let's say, significant assets 
to get them. Yeah. I mean, two prospects, we'll call Fradish and Kachuk prospects. I mean, they're they're NHLers, but they're young NHLers. And two first-round picks to get back Hagel. And then Joseph and a pick to get back Paul. All it took to get Riley Nash was future considerations. And, you know, he's he's older. And he is not going to be asked to do the same sorts of things, I think, that they're looking for from Hagel and Paul. But you're right in terms of a depth piece. He's a guy that, like Paul and Hagel, can kill penalties. He is a good face-off man. Even in his brief time with the Lightning, he was at about 52% on draws, which is certainly nothing to, to dismiss. So once the playoffs begin, and we hope that Syracuse makes the playoffs, and, and we hope organizationally that, that the crunch go deep in the playoffs, but if the Lightning require reinforcements, or should Syracuse season end, and they want to call up a bunch of the Syracuse players who become the quote-unquote black aces, Nash is going to be part of that. I don't think there's any question about that. But you also have, and Julian mentioned this in the Nick Paul press conference, the Lightning have other players in Syracuse they feel can step in and contribute. I mean, we've talked a lot about Jamel Smith. He's in that mix. The guys who have some NHL experience, whether it's Dumont, Houdon, Ramielli, still have Barry Boulay down there. And this is just the forward position. But I think the Lightning felt good about adding another depth piece if they had the chance. You know what's interesting is so that the, the guys that we talked about in, in preseason – and it was basically Radish, Kachuk, and Barry Boulay. Ryforce was also somebody that was maybe knocking on the door, although maybe his stock has fallen a bit based off of the season he's had at Syracuse. What's very interesting about those group of players, partner, is that you know th- three of them potentially could have been gone. Two of them are mm-hmm. Kachuk and Radish, and we know Barry Boulay was claimed. Yeah, off waivers and. You know, the Lightning had to make some tough decisions then. I think they're going to have to make some tough decisions now. Uh, this is a conversation probably in the off season, But Barry Boulay is still in the organization. You wonder if, if he is going to be given some new life maybe next year, assuming there are some guys that, that depart. Although you could make the case with Hagel being brought in. That's another guy who might be filling in a, a top six role, certainly a top nine, along with Ross Colton, who also came from Syracuse. So it is interesting, that whole dynamic of young prospects, what are they used for? In some years, they're used to help your roster, and we have seen that over the years for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But in other years, they're used to acquire more talent, and I think we saw that with even Nolan Foote, Dave, mm-hmm. and uh, we saw it with Kachuk and Radish. That wave of that, it was like that next wave of prospects were either going to help the Lightning on their roster or they were going to be guys that maybe the Lightning could trade to bring in better assets to help the roster as well. So it's interesting that the Lightning had that little pipeline. And now the key for them will be not only developing more talent, but also having maybe that next wave of players that they can use to either help the roster with those players playing or if they have to, trade them away for other assets. Well, and, and one guy, I didn't want to leave anybody out. I mean, I was just talking off the top of my head, and the guys I mentioned, other than Barry Boulay, who was a younger player 
who has limited NHL experience. The other guys I mentioned, Nash, Dumont, Houdon, Ellie, all have more NHL experience. I didn't really mention any of the quote-unquote prospects playing in Syracuse, but I think we should mention Cole Kepke, yeah, who has had a really strong – he's had a strong overall rookie year in pro hockey, and he has had a stronger second half than first half. He's up to 17 goals, Greg. That's a lot. That's a and lot. on a team that I'm looking at their roster, like they have some players who are minus, some players who are plus, but among their top guys, mostly minuses, Kefke's plus one. And again, it's it's one of those stats where you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt a little bit. But, I mean, Houdon is minus 15 and Kepke is plus one. That's a fairly significant gap between two guys who are who are very close in terms of points. Another guy I didn't mention is Fortier, who did come up and had a cup of coffee with the yeah, Lightning earlier yeah. this year. Yeah. But Kepke, if, 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 look, if it turns out the Lightning are going to have a group of black aces, and that would be if they are still playing in the playoffs when Syracuse is not, I'm pretty certain Kepke is going to be part of that group too. And he may be a guy the Lightning look at next year or the year after. Remember, he's right at the start of his pro career. This has been a good rookie year for him, is what I'm saying. Let's see if he can continue to grow and progress. For sure. And again, that next wave of prospects who are knocking on the door, who potentially could be called up at some point in the next couple of years, are, are hopefully there. And it's good to see some of them are putting up some numbers. So just an interesting observation. We did hear Nick Paul, partner, coming into the broadcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know... What struck me from his tone and just going back and, and looking at some some highlights and some video of him this year and the last couple of years is, one, I, I think he he definitely understands what his role is going to be, which I think to be a successful professional in any field, I think you have to understand what is expected of you. I think Nick Paul understands exactly what he is being brought in here to do, and that is to be gritty, kill some penalties, you're not looked to score a ton, but if you can, great, and just bring a heavy game. But I also think he's excited to be here. I think whatever contract he issues he had with Ottawa, you can now put that on the back burner. You know, whether he signs the Lightning in the offseason to an extension or goes somewhere else, I think whatever whatever type of distraction, if there was one in Ottawa, that is thrown out the door, and now his focus is solely the next 20 games for the Tampa Bay Lightning in the regular season and hopefully a big playoff run. Because, Dave, mm-hmm. if he has a good playoff push, that is only going to help him when it comes to negotiating his next contract. But what I got from him, just listening to him, he's a pretty honest player. I think he's somebody that's going to stick up for his teammates. I think he's somebody that's going to block a lot of shots. And I think he's somebody that's going to finish his checks. And while he might not be compared specifically to Goodrow or Coleman or Gord, I think he does give the Lightning a little bit more of that sandpaper type game, and I think he's exactly what they need, but it sounds like he knows exactly what his role is going to be, and I think that's going to expedite the process in him becoming a very valuable member of this Lightning team. And I think you know, with Hagel, it's, it's just a matter of him feeling comfortable where he's going to fit in uh, with line combinations because I, I think when we saw him against the Rangers – 
it was pretty clear he knew how to play with some skilled guys and was willing to shoot the puck when called upon. So I, I think both of those guys understand their role. They don't have to come in and reinvent the wheel. I think they just have to come in and play hard. And I, it sounds like, in many ways, that is the calling card of both of those players. Yeah, I think Lightning fans are going to like watching these guys play. They play a straight line, hard nose sort of game. And I was pretty impressed with Hagel's debut. And, and part of it is, it's his debut. So he wants to make uh, a good impression. And I'm sure he had a lot of adrenaline going and all of that. But, I mean, he didn't get a skate with the team. It sounds like the Lightning didn't really try and give him too much information as far as their system is concerned, which is interesting. John Cooper on the morning of the Rangers game said that their system and Chicago system are not that far apart as it relates to Hagel getting acclimated. But when Hagel met with the media after the game, he said, yeah, these are different systems. So to him, he feels like he has a ways to go until it's like muscle memory with, with what the lightning want to do. And, and that's why you have these, you know, 20, 21, 22 games before the playoffs begin to get guys settled. That's true with players arriving to the Lightning or players arriving to any new team. It's like you spend your your whole season and maybe your whole career playing the game a certain way within a system that you know by heart, and all of a sudden it's like you have to start writing with your left hand if you're right-handed and, and learn how to do that. Maybe that's not a great analogy, but you know what I mean? So what impressed me was that Hagel didn't look like a guy who had any hesitancy to his game against the Rangers. He didn't look like a guy who was thinking about where do I need to be now? What do I need to do? He just reacted, which is probably what the Lightning wanted him to do, but it doesn't make it any less impressive. But what he showed was exactly what you said, a straight line, hard-nosed, hard-to-play-against, type of mentality he got in on the four check he played the body he had a couple of steals in the offensive zone he had a nice pass to Joseph when Joseph was tripped that was one of the power plays the lighting got might have been in the was it the one in the first period that they scored on it might have been that one I thought it was a really good debut and hopefully a sign of things to come for him and while Paul is not exactly the same player He's bigger, first of all, physically, and he does take more faceoffs than Hagel. They are they are to some extent cut from the same cloth in right. how they play, and that's what you were talking about a second ago. I think they're going to help out in, in a really big way, and I think Hagel is the, definitely the type of player that can that can be in a top six role. But if he's in a top nine, which he will be, is somebody that can chip in offensively in a bigger way than maybe some anticipated. I'm I, I'm really that was a tremendous move because it, it you, you control his rights for a few more years and I, I I can't state that enough partner how important that part is for a team that has to watch every penny they spend to get a guy on that type of contract with that type of production is a really big deal and it it definitely softens the blow when you start talking about the prospects they gave away 
or they traded away and how old they were, or I should say how young they were. They're basically getting a guy who's around that same age that is yeah. more polished. I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, that was just a that has the potential to be one of those moves that continues to keep the team's head above water and be competitive because you know the core is going to be there. It's what are you going to get with some of those role players? And if you get a guy who is producing 20 goals a clip every year on a contract like that for a few more years, that that really makes your team a, a well-oiled machine. And I'll be curious to see if, if his production does follow suit. But I'm excited to see both those guys tonight. Hopefully, it sounds like Paul will be in the lineup partner tonight. Yeah. I know there were some questions, you know, depending on when he got in, but it, it does sound like he'll be he'll be in the lineup. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And let's face it, I, I think a, a great team to make your debut because Carolina, they didn't do a ton at the trade deadline. They did pick up Max Domi, and we can get into Carolina and, and maybe what they did and what they didn't do. But they certainly grab your attention right off the bat, partner. And we kind of talked about these next couple of games. I think that's going to be the case. I would be very surprised if the Lightning – I want to say from start to finish, don't have a decent game because I think Carolina and Boston require you to if you're going to win mm -hmm. a game like this. So I'm excited to see how that plays out tonight as are our fans. Yeah, and and we should mention no skate today for the lighting. No they decided to, to cancel it. So Paul's first time skating with his new teammates will actually be in the game, but I don't know that they would have done a lot at the skate i mean morning skates are usually kind of get your body warm yeah. so it may be really a, a first dig in sort of game in terms of working through the system tomorrow when the team is in boston for paul hagel got that yesterday yes when they had a practice in tampa or in brandon i guess before before the team left for raleigh so yeah i mean i i agree that carolina is Carolina's the sort of team that you know, you want to have hard physical guys in the lineup to, to play yes. against them. Yes. Because they are a hard charging team. It was kind of interesting that of the of the eight Eastern Conference teams, because now that everything is is done, maybe Washington was fairly quiet. But certainly six of the eight, when all was said and done, I'm going to include the Penguins in here because they did make the move for Ricard Raquel, which I think is a fairly significant move in addition to Beaulieu. And the Rangers certainly ended up being busier than what we thought probably when we signed off yesterday because there were some deals that came and they got Cop right. and Mott, two guys that when Joe Smith wrote about potential targets the Lightning were, were looking at, those were two of the players that Joe mentioned. The Lightning ended up getting Hagel and Paul. But Mott was moved and Cop was moved both to the Rangers and they brought in Justin Braun. As compared to the the six other teams in the East outside of Washington, Carolina didn't do very much. They made one deal, Max Domi. And he's not going to play tonight. They're going to hold him out until their next game. But, you know, maybe, maybe the Hurricanes feel this is their team. Like they made their moves during the offseason. With Kokaniemi and Freddie Anderson. I think and you're it's right. It's hard to argue with that based on where they are in the standings. And let's face it, Max Domi is not the Max Domi we saw a couple of years ago with Arizona. I mean, he is basically a fourth line player at this point in his career. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what his upside is. It's certainly, 
where his game is today, partner, is not where it was maybe at the peak of when he was at Arizona. I think well, he, he like wasn't a, a good season. It, it wasn't a good fit for him in Columbus. That much is clear. Whether right. it was you know how it, how it started, where I don't know if he and Torch didn't see eye to eye or, or whatever, but he was he looked like a shell of the player that he had been when he was in Columbus. Now, when he had been in Montreal, I mean, I don't think that he he lit the world on fire. Wasn't he, he in was more effective? Lineup, he was more effective than he was when he got to. Yeah, Columbus. certainly not where he was in Arizona. And maybe it's no. just different different roles. But, I mean, he's a guy that I, maybe he can help them as a depth piece for sure. But I think you bring up a good point. You know, some of these teams that didn't make a ton of moves, maybe they felt like what they did in the offseason mm-hmm. is is basically what got them here. You know, I, 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 I kind of – I look, you know me. I don't really get into it on Twitter with people because I, I feel like that just opens up a can of worms. Plus, we have an hour – to talk about any issues we have. You can get into it with yeah. me. Yeah, right. So Matt Larkin, formerly of the Hockey News, tweeted something out. I think it was yesterday. And he's like, here's basically the argument you can have to somebody who says you don't need to make a move at the trade deadline to improve your team or or to win a championship. And he gave a stat. I'd have to go back and look exactly, but it was something like 10 out of the last 11 Stanley Cup winners all made moves um, at the trade deadline. And so I understand where he's coming from, and certainly the Lightning are a great example of that. Or it was something like, you know, the moves that you don't make those are the best moves, and then his point was, "We'll tell that to the you know the last ten out of eleven cup winners who've made moves." And I will just say this: just because you don't make a big splash, doesn't mean you can't win a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. You know, it has been done. It did to make a move just to make a move and to keep acquiring talent. Like I'll give you an example, partner, and I I want to kind of bring it together, and I I disagree with Matt on that. I don't know how much the Florida Panthers really improved their team. Now, you may say that initially and say, well, what are you talking about, Greg? I mean, they, they brought in Claude Giroux. I mean, he's he's an elite face-off guy. He certainly can provide some depth scoring. And Ben Sherratt's a nice nice addition. And who else did they get? Robert uh, Haig. Haig, right? So Robert yeah. Haig. So good depth pieces. Maybe they're, maybe they're in their top six. I don't know. I don't know if the Panthers necessarily needed those players. I think it's a good luxury, for sure. But I think had the Panthers not done anything, I don't know. I mean, to me, they still would have been one of the favorites, if not the favorite, coming out of the East. And that's not a knock on the Lightning. I think that's just a compliment to Florida. I think sometimes when you go all in, when you're a team knocking on the door, you have to ask yourself a question— was it too much? And I go back to what Pittsburgh did back in 2013. Now, they had more of an impact at the trade deadline day. But if you remember, I believe that's the year they went out and got Jerome McGinley, Brandon Morrow, and UC Okanen mm-hmm. to a team that was already stacked. And what it ended up happening? They didn't win a cup. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it, and I don't know if they necessarily needed those guys. They were kind of a well-oiled machine that year, and they decided to go out and get more players. I understand that, but just because you go out and get 
a Giroux and a Sherratt doesn't mean that's going to automatically get you to the Stanley Cup final. So sometimes when you don't make a move, that's sometimes the best move. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to see what Florida does with this moving forward. Well, it's not an easy job when you were the general manager to determine what areas can we address, do we need to address that will help us, and can we address those needs? And are we making the right diagnosis? Yeah. What we think are our needs may not be our needs. <laughs> or sometimes you do address those needs, and you just run into a team that is hitting its stride more when you get to the playoffs, and sometimes you lose, even though maybe in another year, facing different opposition with the exact same team, you might have won. So there are a lot of variables here. I think I read that there are two instances in the last decade of teams that went on to win the Stanley Cup and made no moves at the deadline. I want to say one was the Kings in 2012, and they barely got into the playoffs that year. Well, that doesn't sound right because I think they added Jeff Carter. So I'm not remembering the right year, <laughs> but I thought it was the Kings in 2012. Maybe they added Carter before the deadline. So we're talking about deadline moves. And the other, I want to say, was the Capitals in 2018. Now, of course, the Lightning in 2019 made no moves, and we know what happened. They lost in the first round. But I think that your kind of cautionary tale about the 2013 Penguins, who, by the way, did win two rounds. They did. But they lost they in the conference final to yes. the Bruins and lost four straight. I think it's it's worthwhile to mention that doing nothing isn't always the right move although it sometimes can work out. But doing something for the sake of doing something, if you feel that's what the Penguins did in 2013, isn't always the right move either. That sometimes, really anytime you make a move, you are disrupting chemistry. By disrupting, I mean you're, you're, you're shaking things up a little bit and you hope that you're shaking things up productively, but sometimes it, it goes in the other direction where the changes that you made adversely affected kind of the chemistry in the room. Not to say that the player you brought in isn't a good guy or anything like that, but just kind of the way the room has gelled can be adversely affected sometimes. I'm also just like you don't know what kind of chemistry you're going to get when yeah. you put three players together on a line. They might all be really good individual players. They just maybe don't mesh together well as a group of three, that is the risk you run when you make moves. And when you make a lot of moves, then the risk goes up. Yeah, and I'm also wondering when you bring in more of a top six talents, is it harder for them to gel with a team compared to somebody who's going to be in a bottom six role? Mm. Well, because like, are you talking about Aginla or? Well, Aginla, I mean, Aginla is part of the issue there when they brought him in was that they, they switched him to his off wing. And I don't think he was ever comfortable because they didn't want to hurt the chemistry with James Neal and what he had. Yeah. I mean, that's nobody cares about that story. But I'm, I'm just saying like a Giroux top six guys, you would think a playoff team basically has their top six set. You would think. I mean, it's it's usually you want to add some depth pieces. Maybe you want to add a score in Pittsburgh's case. They desperately needed. A, a guy who could play with Malkin. So they had to go out and get a skilled guy. But for the most part, I mean, the Lightning, I don't think we're going to go out and get a top six forward. I, I just, I don't know if there was a need to. And so if you get a guy who's in the bottom six, 
understanding what their role is and what their skill sets are, is it easier for those guys to get adjusted to their game and their new team because they're playing with guys who have a similar mindset? It's basically let's kill some penalties, let's block some shots, let's create some momentum with our speed and our, our mm-hmm. hitting as opposed to guys who have to come in and really gel with their centerman and other winger because they're relied on to score. I feel like chemistry is a bigger deal in your top six than in your bottom six. And that's just a, a blanket statement. Obviously, there are exceptions to that rule. I'm wondering if it was a little bit easier of a mesh with Gord, Coleman, and Goodrow because those guys had similar skill sets in many ways, but they also weren't brought in to come in and play with points in Kucherov, which may take some time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I So with Giroux, he may say he'll play wherever he wants, and maybe that's, that's just how it's going to be with him. But is, how effective is Claude Giroux going to be in a bottom six if that's the route they want to go? And if you're putting him in a top six, how does he mesh with guys they already have there who are established? Yeah. So, you I know? mean, I guess, I guess the part about the Giroux deal that I don't want to go so far as to say doesn't make sense because it does make sense because he's a really good player. He's, he's number two in faceoff percentage. He'll be a, an asset for you on your power play. He's got a ton of experience and a lot of playoff experience, too, even though the Flyers haven't made the playoffs every year since he has been there. But they made the playoffs when he has been there, and they've had some deep runs while he has been there, too. Bill Zito knows his team way better than you do or I do, Greg. But if you were to look at the Panthers from the outside looking in, and even a little bit more than the outside looking in, because we've seen them up close this year and certainly last year through the regular season and the playoffs, bringing in an offensively gifted player would not seem to be necessarily a need that the Panthers look like they had to address. I mean, they are leading the league in goals scored by a wide margin. Now, they also added Ben Sherratt, who is a really solid defenseman. And I guess from the outside looking in, like I can understand that. That makes sense. Why they felt they needed to add Drew, I guess that's the question. Why did they feel that Drew was an important piece to add, which cost them a considerable price? Owen Tippett plus draft picks. Obviously, they felt that it was really important. They aren't just like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. That to me it had to be faceoffs, Dave. But they aren't bad at faceoffs. I mean, Barkov is terrific. They aren't bad, but if you, I mean, if you can better yourself, I mean, which I, I mean, where would you rank Giroux in terms of faceoff guys in the league? Is he still well? In that he's top right 10? up there. Yeah, right. he's right up there with All Bergeron right. and and the rest. So you have two out of the top ten faceoff guys on your team, as we know, come playoff time. If Barkov's not taking an important faceoff, maybe they throw Giroux out there. Okay, so maybe they've given themselves an opportunity. You know, I go back. Uh, Brian Burke mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago when they talked about you know matchups and line changes, and he said, "Listen, one way you can negate." matchup problems particularly when you're on the road is to win faceoffs. You win faceoffs, you can neutralize what the other team is trying to do from a matchup perspective with that last line change. It kind of made sense. I'm not saying he's right all the time, mm-hmm. but if 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 the Panthers are able to control play for a good portion of the game, 
and it starts with winning faceoffs, and you've got two of the better ones in the league, that takes some pressure off your defense. That certainly takes some pressure off of their goaltending. You know, right, if they're playing great. with the so puck. I'll, I'll grant you that, and, and I'm looking at their faceoff percentage. They are in the bottom half of the league, Florida, as a team. So fair enough. But if you wanted to address faceoffs, did you have to go out and get a guy that was going to cost you that much? Because you're not getting Drew just for faceoffs, right? I'm going to look at their team faceoff numbers. So Barkov's at 55.7%. So he, right. as usual, is doing very, very well. Bennett is is well under 50, as is Anton Lundell, who are their centers two and three. So I guess maybe you put you look at putting Giroux on Lundell's line and have him take the faceoffs, but Lundell plays center, which Giroux has done that. I mean, the years sure. that he was on the same line as Couturier, who was also terrific on draws. He was. They would alternate taking faceoffs based on the yes. location of the faceoffs. So they could take it on their strong side, but one would play center and the other would play wing. So Giroux can do that. I guess I just circle back to, like, that's a hefty price to pay if you're concerned about face-offs. Now, look, I think face-offs are extremely important, as does Phil. We talk about it all the time in our broadcasts. But I think that if you're bringing in Claude Giroux, you're doing it for more than just his face-off prowess. I guess I, I would ask the question, like, was there another really good face-off guy that you potentially could have gotten who would help you less potentially offensively because maybe you don't need that much help offensively but can be a really solid guy to send out when you need to win a face-off. I don't know if there was a guy out there like that, but if there was, the Panthers decided to go for well, and probably I also think, the, big, the biggest yeah. fish in the free agent. Right. Pool. I mean, I think, I think his skill set obviously makes him attractive. He's a skilled guy, too. You can never have enough of those guys in the playoffs. We know scoring does dry up. We have talked about that a number of times. Just look at the example of the Islanders, who really good team all the way around. You want maybe an extra guy who can score, you know, and it alleviates some pressure off the big guns. I think he is that insurance for sure. Uh, you asked me, you know, maybe not directly, but it was that too much of a price to pay for a guy like that. I think it just all depends on what you're comfortable paying. You know, yeah. if, if that's what they thought the market was and let's, let's not minimize before we go to break partner, the pressure to win now for some of these teams, I don't know what Florida's cap situation is in the next year or two. I'm sure these teams that are all in, that are paying their high-end guys a lot of money are all going to have some interesting decisions to make in the next couple of years. We know about Bobrovsky and his contract and how that's weighing down probably on some of the things they can do. But I don't think we can minimize the fact that Florida is in a situation probably when they need to strike pretty quickly here to, to try and win a Stanley Cup. And I'm not saying they'll never win one, obviously, mm -hmm. but maybe they felt this was the year that they needed to really go in uh, all in. And it found it found it felt like Owen Tippett was a guy they were willing, obviously, to trade. Yes, that he had fallen out of favor with them, and for whatever reason, or maybe they just didn't have a spot for him. And he was a guy that they were willing to dangle. And I think Giroux also wanted to go to Florida, which was one of the. It was between Florida and Colorado, apparently. And I think he really wanted to go to Florida. And I think the Flyers tried to accommodate him. And because of that, I think the Panthers had to pay a hefty price. They, they thought it was worth it. So we'll see if it pays off for them. Well, the, the trade was they also got Connor Bunneman, who is a fourth-line fourth center when the Lightning 
and Flyers saw each other in the bubble. Remember they played that, and and even beyond the bubble. I mean, I remember Bunneman playing during that regular season. So the Flyers moved him as well as a prospect and a late-round pick for Tippett, a third-round pick, and then a first-round pick. But remember, this is a rental. So Giroux will not be back with the Panthers unless he takes a considerable discount and the Panthers move all kinds of money out to make this work. So this is a deal for this year, and this is a player the Panthers felt would help them win this year. And we're going to see what happens. I think you've been fairly consistent in talking about the Panthers and certainly about Toronto this way and maybe to an extent Carolina that in the end the questions are going to come down to goaltending. It's well, going to and come it's, down to Bobrovsky. Right. It's going to come down to Jack Campbell or whoever in Toronto and it's going to come down to Freddie Anderson who's having a great year but up until this point has not done as well in the playoffs Certainly not in Toronto. He didn't do as well in the playoffs as as Toronto had hoped he would. I, I and I, I I agree with that. We'll take a break here. I also think it's interesting. Was was Flurry basically the the biggest name goaltender to move? Went to Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, some teams get funny about trading for a marquee goaltender midway through the season with twenty games remaining. You know, we talked well, about Well they made their they made their choice already. I'm not suggesting that the yeah, Panthers yeah. would have gone out to get a goalie or that Carolina would have. Why would well, they? No, no. But, I, what I, I mean, I, th- I think Florida's case especially. I mean, there's just not much they can do with the goaltender position except a, pray that Bobrovsky gets back to where he was maybe a few years back, or Spencer Knight is the guy, and it's it seems like Bobrovsky's ahead of Knight at this point, you know. Yeah. And so I think there's not much. I guess what I'm saying is there's not much those teams could have done at the goaltender position. And if they're going to make a move there, it might have to be in the offseason. So they tried to address some other positions that might be able to help them mask any deficiencies they have at the goaltender position, in addition to those guys playing well in net. But let's face it, when the Lightning, if and when they play all of these teams, there's a sizable advantage their way. And I don't think we can minimize that at all. I'm not saying you do. I'm not saying I do, certainly. But I think it's fair to at least point that out. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We've got some questions starting to trickle in. You want to talk about the game tonight? You can. Tampa Bay taking on Carolina. What did you make of the trade deadline in general? Who do you think improved their team the most? Who didn't? We'll break it all down when we return. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, glad you're with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. We have a few of our loyal listeners and some new ones who want to chime in on what has transpired the last couple of days. And uh, our good friend Al says, I've looked and can't find the answer. Can a team still put a player on waivers after the deadline? Or are the playoff rosters frozen except for emergency call-ups? I know trades can still happen, but that player is not playoff eligible. And are you guys going to have Julian Breezewell on the show? We are efforting on that last point. (laughs) Yeah. So, again, you can always put a player on waivers unless the player is waiver exempt. Here are the rules post-trade deadline. You are allowed four recalls. 
Now, that's more bringing up a player than sending a player down. If it is an emergency recall, then that does not count against one of the four recalls. I know that's not exactly the question Al asked, but I'm going to I'm going to kind of give you the full picture here as I understand. Now define it. emergency call up to Dave for some So of those like let's know. say the Lightning, so I wrote this in my column yesterday kind of going back over the the two trades. The Riley Nash trade came down as I was writing, so I put in a little segment about that and why they were able to add him because it was basically a minor league deal from one minor league team to another because he had cleared waivers. So the Lightning right now have 12 forwards, seven defensemen, and two goalies, and they have no cap room. So how could they add a player? Well, if a player gets hurt, you are allowed to add a player. But the emergency recall kicks in only if you have had injuries to a position where you're under a certain threshold. And I think if it's one injury to a forward, this part I'm not entirely certain of, it doesn't kick in because the Lightning could go with 11 and 7, which they've done before by choice. But let's say they get a couple of injuries, just for the sake of argument. Let's say they're down to 10 healthy forwards. The rule states that you can call up a player on an emergency basis, but only after you play short for one game, which we saw the Lightning have to do earlier this year in Los Angeles. Some of that was COVID-related, I think, if memory serves. But they had to play short until they could utilize their emergency recall clause. Actually, hadn't they put in the clause about cap forgiveness due to COVID? So it must have been unrelated to COVID at the time. All of these games are kind of running together at this point. That was in January. So, I mean, we were still kind of dealing with Omicron affecting teams at this point. That is now done. So let's let's just say for the sake of argument, the Lightning are down to 10 healthy forwards and they would have to play with 10 healthy forwards, and that's it for one game. After that, they could call up a forward, and that player would not count against the cap because they're short due to, we'll call it, short-term injury. In other words, these injured players are not on long-term injury. Long-term injury is different. Long-term injury means that the player is out at least a month, like Bogosian was on, LTIR earlier this year and then his salary goes into a separate pool as we know called the long-term injury reserve pool and you can call up players that that goes off the cap essentially I mean it doesn't but it does so you can call up players to replace a player on long-term injury before it hits that emergency recall level so you wouldn't have to play short a game but the player that you're putting on long-term injury has to sit out at least a month. Right. So it has to be a significant injury. Now, Al's question was about waivers. That's more about players going down. So any player you send down who is waiver eligible would have to go through waivers. And, And that would be part of this transaction deal because presumably if you're sending a player down, you're probably calling a player up as well to replace that player. If that player is claimed and it's after the deadline, the new team can utilize the player for the rest of the regular season, but he is ineligible to play in the playoffs. The same is true if you acquire a player via a trade after the deadline, which is why you don't really see any trades occur 
after the trade deadline because any player you acquire would not be eligible to play for you in the playoffs. Now, it could be a minor league deal, I guess, or it could be like a prospect who hasn't turned pro yet. I mean, you could see that, I suppose. I don't know if that answers exactly the question Al had, but you can send a player down at any time, and that player would have to clear waivers if he is waiver eligible. But you're not going to see a lot of waiver pickups after the deadline because the advantage to the team that's claiming that player is limited. You get that player for the rest of the regular season, and that's it. Now, let's say the Lightning send a player through waivers or any team sends a player through waivers, and the Buffalo Sabres are like, we really like that player. We're not going to make the playoffs. We're going to claim that player because we want that player. Different story, but I, I don't think you see that very often. My hunch is, and maybe this is kind of what Al is getting at, the 12-7 lineup configuration, roster configuration the Lightning have right now is going to stay the same with no changes unless there are injuries. Al wanted to also know, should there be any concern of only a 21-man roster, a short-term injury to a forward could put stress on the team? That's kind of what I just talked about. That's what you were knocked on, yeah. So, was that clear? I mean, did you understand? I did understand that. All right. Yeah, I did understand that. If, if anyone is still confused, they can they can write us back. I'll try again. Uh, this comes from John. He wants to know, again, have we learned anything more when it comes to Bogosian or Foot being in the lineup come playoff time? Well, Foot right now is the seventh defenseman. Yep. I think some of that is the Lightning are looking – they're not only looking to get Bogosian – into a rhythm they're also experimenting this has been going on going back to the road trip out west having Bogosian play with McDonough and Sergachev with Chernak they may be more than just Bogosian they may want to see like let's see how Sergachev does with Chernak can we split up McDonough and Chernak and and still have that be you know like a solid a solid group of six essentially but now is the time to do it, right? And see what you've got. This question comes from Sean. It's more just in general about the playoffs and the seedings. He's like, do you like the way the NHL seeds their teams? He says he'd like to go back to the old format. Would one would play eight, two would play seven. Basically, what he's saying is a really good team's going to get knocked out there in the first couple of rounds. I think we've seen that before yeah. with the Lightning and Panthers, you know. Well, I think that the way the East is sizing up good teams, no matter what the format, <laughs> they're going to be unreal matchups in the first round. And good teams are going to get eliminated early. I think one reason why the league changed it. So first of all, they went from they went from three divisions to two. And then they wanted to s- kind of set up divisional rivalries, which goes out the window a little bit when they factor in the wild card because you could have a team from the other division move into your division based on their position as a wild card team. But in the previous format, when you had three divisions, you had the three division winners seeded one, two, three. And then four through eight were just the next highest point totals conference-wide. And the fan who wrote in was correct. One played eight, two played seven, three played six, and four played five. 
what you had happened though, sometimes like the third seed, the the weakest division winner would actually have fewer points than maybe teams four and five that were in tougher divisions and had had better regular seasons. So what you might have happen is the third seed might have fewer points than let's say seeds four and five. So if you're the fifth seed, not only are you getting a tougher matchup, you probably should have home ice if you were one of the top four point teams in the conference, but you didn't. So I don't know if that was a major consideration, but when they consolidated from three divisions to two, they changed the format. Yeah, it's, And look, the point. Lightning yeah. and Panthers met in the first round last year because of the divisional alignment. They might yeah. not have otherwise. And it, 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 it added to their rivalry, which was what the league wanted. Stan says, what did you make of the moves the Rangers made? They were a team that had a lot of cap space, but it seems like they address more grit than anything else. Well, they did. I mean, yeah. what? Cop, Mots, Vetrano, and Braun. I mean, those are right guys. Well, what were the Rangers' players. needs? Like, if we were to look at the Rangers pre-deadline and and try and make an assessment of their team, not knowing them as well as as Chris Drury does, like their goaltending is solid, and their high-end skill was terrific, and their power play has been outstanding this year. So maybe you would say depth scoring and and depth on defense. I think they kind of addressed that didn't they yeah in this uh article from the athletic um i guess uh, rick tockett studio analyst i think what for tnt was quoted as saying for me how can you stand pat when you have a goalie that's going to be a heart nominee you've got to give your team a chance when you have that and i think they did with their moves end quote so i know that it says they wanted to boost their week five on five offensive generation it sounds like two, and I, I think, what was that stat? They had 20 comeback wins. Yeah. Which was pretty I, I, incredible. I mean, the, 19, the Lightning, I think, have 19. So, I mean, that counts if you're down one yeah, nothing, yeah. two, and you tie the game. I mean, that counts. But Are I they a great offensive saying. team? I guess the question is, are there, are there metrics suggesting maybe they're not that elite offensively? Like, they have some elite players, but it seems like the numbers – don't bear that out. Like their power play is really good, but five mm -hmm. on five they struggle. So what is that? You know, does that does that tell you anything? Are they clearly the people you talk to? They rely a lot on Shosturkin. You know. Yeah, but I mean, if you're looking to help your depth scoring, Vitrano has scored twenty goals before, and they actually used him in a top six when the Lightning saw the Rangers last weekend. And Andrew Kopp is having a really good offensive year. I'm not sure Mott is going to be a guy to really drive a lot of offense, but I don't know. I think they did a good job. Yeah, I mean, considering the their team, yeah, for sure. I mean, they, That's why they I kept asking you about like the matchup with Pittsburgh, which may or may not happen in the first round. This whole, this whole Eastern race is getting more muddied based on the seeding. I mean, Boston is just roaring up the standings and and – tied now with Toronto with points or in points and one yeah. point back at the lightning. So any of these teams could end up in the wild card and maybe the same is true in the Metro, but that's why I was asking you 
Pittsburgh and who knows New York. the Penguins really well, what you thought of a Penguins-Rangers yeah. playoff matchup and kind of what what challenges the Rangers posed to the Penguins or any other team. And I think they are they are farther along now than they were before the deadline. Now, I the did pen- see a, a column from Larry Brooks. is like, the Rangers didn't address the sixth guy in their top six because Kako right. is going to be out the rest of the regular season. It's like, yeah. all right, this isn't a fantasy draft where you can just, like, pluck players wherever you want. They did a good job. They had cap space. They didn't go out and get Drew or some other guy who's making, you know, seven, eight million dollars a year, but they didn't need that. Sure. They have Kreider, they have Fox, they have Panarin, they have Zabanajad. Like they have their top end guys. They needed the- to fill out their roster so that they could address if they have a soft underbelly to their team. They tried to address it, and we'll see how these guys work out with them, but they got some depth pieces who should be able to help them balance out their scoring a little bit. There have been a lot of people that have said, when I say a lot, I, I've heard this from NHL analysts that have said maybe the Rangers have arrived a year earlier than expected. I don't know what that means. I mean, whatever. I, I think based off of their moves and where they are now, they clearly said, look, maybe we've we've expedited that process in terms of us being a legitimate contender. If they match up with Pittsburgh in the first round, you know, everybody wants to say Crosby, Malkin. Anytime you have those guys, you have a chance to win. And I think that's true, but they haven't won a playoff series since 2018. So I think it's fair to at least point that out. And I do think Shesterkin could be somebody that gives them fits when you talk about a guy who could steal a series. The The unknown for Pittsburgh will be who is going to play with Malkin. Is Kapanen and Raquel going to be his wingers? If they are, what type of production are you going to get from those two guys? Because the first line is dynamic. And is Tristan Jari going to play the way he can in the playoffs like we're seeing in the regular season? I mean, if Jari plays the way he's playing in the regular season in the playoffs, the Penguins have a chance to do some damage. Hasn't done it. So you got to find out. I think that's probably a coin flip, that series. I think both teams do certain things well. You could maybe give the edge slightly to Pittsburgh because they do have some guys who have that playoff experience and who have won. But as I said before, I mean, you probably could have said that the last three years and Pittsburgh didn't win a playoff series. So what does that mean? Um, You know, I like their move to get Raquel. I mean, I think he's not Mm -hmm. what he was three years ago when he was scoring. Now, did you like that? Did you like that move more because they got Raquel or because they traded Dominic Simon? Dominic (laughs) Simon. Well, I, I, I should say my, your dad. Was your was dad gonna, happy I, about the arrival of Raquel or the departure of Simone? I, let me see. Um, oh, <laughs> so here was my I'm, I'm on a, a text chain with my brother and my dad. So my dad goes, um, just heard Simone and Zach Aston Reese going. Yeah, Simone's gone. He wrote goodbye with like five <laughs> exclamation points. <laughs> yeah. Anaheim really values the analytics. <laughs> well, that, I, I saw somebody's uh, breakdown of that trade in the athletic and they said, you know, Simone's really a, a, a metric darling. So <laughs> I think that's why they liked him bringing him in. By the way, you know, because of those moves, who's probably going to be their fourth line center? Brian Boyle. Looks yeah, because like they, be a guy they that's traded play. two forwards to get one back. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to, he, you know, this is a guy who is what basically out of hockey. 
you know, and, and found a, yeah. a niche there. So he looks like he's going to slide in and, and be their fourth line center. So we'll see what that happens. But um, I, I think I think the trade deadline, if anything, partner, the one thing we saw, teams certainly address their needs, but I think teams also paid a big price. And I think that's just how this year was going to be, you know, and we also saw a lot of teams retain salary. And we probably figured that was going to happen with the way the cap situation was the last couple mm-hmm. of years and revenues. Isn't it interesting? So I did see the the stat from the league that 33 trades happen on the deadline day, which is a record. Yeah. But that doesn't take into account some of the deals that happened leading up to the deadline day. Right. Which I don't know how that compares with other years, because in other years there have been deals consummated leading up to deadline day. But it's interesting Teams are really aggressive about trading high draft picks now, like first-round picks. And to the point that you're seeing some of the top teams, and the Lightning are in this boat, they have their first for this year, but they don't for the next two years. Florida, Toronto, go down the list. I mean, and that's just in the East. But a lot of teams don't have first-round picks, which means that other teams have lots of first-round picks. And I wonder if there are going to be more deals done as we head into the drafts in which some teams have like three, four first-round picks. I mean, Arizona has a ton coming up Do you this see Seattle? year. And I, and 32 I think, draft picks yeah. over the next three years? Like, is it, worth, <laughs> is it worth the while for those teams to utilize all of those picks? Or are they going to then utilize those picks as assets to get more ready NHL players on draft day or leading up to the draft. I wonder if, if some of the deals involving these first round picks before the pick is even used are, are done yet. Cause as we're saying, like the lightning don't have many first round picks. The Panthers don't have many first round picks. The Leafs don't have many first round picks. These teams are trading away first round picks. I mean, somebody is getting those picks and the teams right. that are getting these picks are getting a lot of picks. Are they going to use them all? Or are they going to then flip them for something else? Time will tell. You know, we've talked about this with Arizona. They're a team that probably needs to get NHL players on that roster, you know, just to fill out the roster. So maybe they they move some of those picks. Maybe they move. Seattle, uh, from what I was reading, they have more draft picks now than they do players in the minor league system. Now, they don't, you know, this is the first year that they have, you know, a team that they're sharing. They may be a team just based on their newness they will utilize Correct. yes but arizona picks. arizona might be able to get some some decent players who are on an extended contract by giving up some draft picks i mean that could that could help them become a little bit more competitive and two players that weren't traded right chickering and kessel and maybe that happens in the yeah that is interesting too. also uh debrusque wasn't moved we thought he was going to be moved after he signed that deal especially and yeah it seems like a pretty affordable deal for a guy that you would think is going to be in their top six mm-hmm. from here well, on. well maybe they're going to keep him yeah for this playoff run and subsequently move him during the offseason he is locked up now for what the next two years yeah so we'll see him we'll see him on what thursday we will so see him on be thursday along with this lindholm yeah Got to get through tonight, and we'll have the pregame coverage for you starting at 6.30. And, Dave, you'll have the call at 7. It should be a good one. I think a lot of people will have fun with this game tonight. And uh, you and I, we will be breaking it all down again tomorrow, noon to 1, 
right on these airwaves. Yep. Good job, Tom. Talk, we'll talk, talk to you, to you soon. tonight. Talk to you tomorrow. You got it. That is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli, and we'll be with you tonight with the pregame show at 630, but tomorrow for Power Lunch at noon right here on Lightning Power Play.